Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Driven E-Commerce at Work, a digital transformation podcast for your B2B and B2C business presented by DCCAP. Each week, we'll bring you conversations with the e-commerce leaders and the latest trends in the industry. I'm your host, Shiva Kumar. All right. So our guest today is uh, an interesting uh, B2B e-commerce evangelist uh, who's currently at Bloom Reach, and he's as, uh, working as a principal B2B visionary, Jason Hain. Uh, his previous experiences include Amazon and the McMaster car supply company. It's like I'm doing my first episode, uh, Jason. Good morning. How's it going? Uh, good, Shiva. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. How is the weather and how is the cold situation over there right now? You know, we're we're kind of we're hunkered down. I'm living in Seattle right now, so we're we're tending to, you know, uh, still kind of stay in as much of we're, we're some of the businesses are starting to open. We're in a very slow reopening, but um, I think a lot of people here are still pretty conservative about it. So not everybody's rushing out yet. Um, you know, some parts of the country, people are rushing out, um, you know, uh, a little bit more aggressively. I think we'll we'll kind of see what happens. But, yeah, we're doing all right here. Okay. Okay. Good, Jason. So uh, uh, I don't want to wait too much. All right. So for, for Office, you know, the that first company is definitely a special one, especially after, you know, looking at your B2B experience and, and, and other things. So I really wanted to, you know, learn more about uh, the journey I mean, where you started. So your first company is McMaster, right? So you've been with them for almost like 11 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you've been in many roles as well, right? So can you tell yeah. us how that experience defined you as a person and who you are right now? Yeah, I think there's there's two things about McMaster Car that really were foundational in terms of where I'm at right now. One is, first of all, it introduced me to the B2B uh, industry in general. Like I, I was an undergrad and I was just kind of, you know, interviewing for jobs and I was trying to get whatever jobs I could find. And I saw this job posting for, you know, McMaster car is going to be on campus. So I was like, all right, I need a practice interview. So I went in, I, I took it and I just kept talking to just really smart, interesting person after really smart, interesting person. And, um, you know, it, it kind of, you know, the more people I talked to, the more I was interested in actually going to work for them. So, I, I, they gave me an offer and I, I, I jumped on it um, and it it kind of it opened up this whole new part of the economy and and business that I had never thought about when I was just, you know, a consumer living that sort of B2C life, that there's this whole underbelly of things that need to get bought to build other things or to fix other things. And and, and so it, that was the way that those sales worked, the the types of product that existed, um, it was really eye-opening. And then the second thing that I think culturally McMaster Car, when it comes to product merchandising, because they were a catalog distributor originally, they they viewed it very differently from most traditional distributors. So McMaster made a very strong point of of first of all, owning the content, like everything in their catalog is something that they've created, they've written, they've, you know, 
written to the to the manufacturer to Git, and they built ev everything that they had in their product database into genuinely an asset for every product that they carry. That has positioned them very well for e-commerce because you know now that they have sort of this unique um, content asset for everything they sell, what one of the things that they've done is they've made it very clear every single thing that they sell, they have a very clear feature benefit. Like why why is this on our website? What are, what are you, the user, going to get from buying this product? It, whether it's suitability for a particular application, compatibility with a certain product or material, like they've really kind of simplified it into um, a very clear, here's the here's the feature and here's the benefit of that feature. And that, you know, trying to recreate that again, <clears throat> when I've worked with clients or when I've worked with companies, has sort of been a defining um, part of you know how I how I go to work is is helping these companies understand that listen if you if you can't you know go to your customers with something that's a little bit different um, you know you end up competing on price and inventory and that's generally not a very uh, attractive game to play in in B two B yeah yeah. So, uh, so let me just come back to the B2B part then. So product categories are really important to engage the visitors mm -hmm. and for better user experience, right? So how important is uh, product taxonomy in B2B distribution? And do you think that the distributors you know, understand this very well if let's say we have to compare that to a B2B, B2C merchant? Yeah, um, no. Uh, so <laughs> yes and no. Uh, Product taxonomy, the, here's the analogy that I use. When I go, when I was in consulting and I would talk to clients, I would say, listen, you have to think about product taxonomy as the foundation for your house. If I was a general contractor and you were coming to me saying, hey, I've got this really cool house I want to buy. You know, most of the time, my clients I would work with would want to rush quickly into all the cool, fun things about building a house. This is the sink I want. This is the toilet I want. These are the paint colors I want to pick. <clears throat> and I would have to slow them down and say, okay, no, on day one, the first thing we need to talk about is how are we going to build your foundation, right? How thick are we going to pour the concrete? Are we going to, is it going to be reinforced? Are we going to put a French drain around it? <clears throat> All of, and that is not, you know, sexy things to talk about in B2B. Nobody wants to talk about it because nobody sees it. Customers don't see that on your, on your website directly. But if you don't build it right, um, you end up in a situation where all right, you've got you know a, a cheap foundation, and then you try and build this really super fancy house on top of it, and then you decide you want to add that second story or or expand or put like a waterbed in your bedroom, which weighs five times as much, and suddenly your your foundation can't support it; it's not built to hold what you're trying to build up on top that people can see. And so the foundation cracks. And then what happens? Well, then you have to knock everything down. You know, like Because trying to fix it after the fact is so expensive and complicated um, that it's not worth doing. So that the same thing happens with taxonomy and, and, and attribution schema. That is so foundational 
to not just the display experience, you know, what your customers see, but also internally it drives, you know, your data governance, your metrics and reporting, um, the way that you um, allocate and pro solve problems, compensation for salespeople. There is so much that leans on, you know, the not just a taxonomy, you might have multiple taxonomies, you might have one that governs how your categories display on your site. You might have one that governs how you're doing uh, governance and auditing and data quality. Um, you know, it, when you when you get to be sophisticated and strategic about it, um, that's where the differentiation starts to happen. And now, and, and to, to the second part of your question, most distributors don't understand taxonomy at all. To them, taxonomy is just, oh, it's it's a financial reporting tool or it's a uh, it's a list of categories on my website, and you know they don't they don't think about things like mutual exclusivity. They don't think about things like, well, hey, is it collectively exhaustive? Are we are we being thoughtful in terms of uh, how we've designed this? It's just yeah, it's just a bunch of categories. We can we'll throw it up there, and that that always ends up uh, hurting companies when they try to move online. And do, do you have any sort of, I mean, it's just like follow-up question to what you answered. Um, do you have any specific percent on this? Let's say uh, just because that the B2C merchants are following the taxonomy, they're doing good at the sales. So this is what as a B2B distributors you need to do. You can do a better sales, right? Uh, if, if you do a proper product taxonomy, are there any specific percent in the market right now? Uh, and you mean like, you know, best the practices? Industry standard. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. And, and that's what makes it hard. Because I, I think what you'll see, what you see is in Europe, there are, there's more of a, um, of an acceptance of some international standards around taxonomy. You know, ISO has, has a standard taxonomy, E-Class, uh, ETIM on the electric, electronics component. And there seems to be a little bit more acceptance of that in Europe because they are, you know, it's also, it's about transferring information about products between manufacturers and distributors. So they've sort of, there's a little bit more take up on it there. In the States, uh, we have tend to view taxonomy as a little bit of a, of a competitive advantage. Like, oh, I think I can build a taxonomy that's better than my competitors to create an experience that's better, that's more custom for my selection. Um, and, and so I think because of that, there's more resistance here in the US for these sort of international standards. Um, and also because I think that's, uh, you know, it's really hard to create a taxonomy that works for everybody. Now, there are certainly best practices in terms of, you know, things to think about. Um, you know, obviously you need to have your categories have to be mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, you know, a place for everything and everything in its place, uh, that, that kind of applies to taxonomy. Uh, you need to make sure that, you know, you're not trying to force it to be too few levels, right? I, I like to go at least if, if I don't have a taxonomy that can go to at least an L5 in B2B, uh, you're setting yourself up to fail. Um, you need to make sure that your naming conventions are simple and approachable. Right, like you're not you're not leaning too heavily on calling your categories things that are only regional, um, or maybe only uh, industry standard standard jargon. Um, you know, those are sort of the and make sure your families aren't too big. Right, if I if I get to a landing page and there's like 25 categories for me to choose from, I, I, I mean, you, you, I'm a human, and like any human, I 
I don't deal well with that much choice. So, um, I mean, those are the things I would say are kind of your, my rules of thumb when I was in consulting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And uh, Bloomreach offers AI-driven site search and uh, product merchandising solution, right? So is that built in line with uh, this uh, product taxonomy problems? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So Bloomreach, the reason I came over to Bloomreach from uh, consulting was really, it's an opportunity. Bloomreach is a toolkit that you can use, like when you've got your, uh, it was built so that like you can kind of take your content to the next level, right? There's an AI component around product merchandising, site merchandising, uh, SEO, so visibility of your products, getting your organic search results to show, to to uh, to appear uh, higher in 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 to be better ranked on like Google or you know on off outside third parties. Um, we have a full um, a full CMS tool. So you know, not only do we have all these tools, but we can also create the experience that kind of you know paints the screen. But the most most important thing about it, honestly, is the fact that it you don't have to rip and replace your existing. Um, your existing pl e-commerce platform, your existing PIM, the whole architecture of it is designed to be art, to be headless. So, you know, it layers on most e-commerce platform software comes with a, you know, site search that is okay, but isn't great. It comes with search and merchandising functions that are okay, but they're not that great. If you want to really create kind of a best of breed experience, which is what headless is all about, that's where Bloomreach comes in handy. You can, it's a toolkit you can pick which tools are most relevant to you and and build off of the fact that you know when you've done whether you've done the work to clean up your taxonomy or not there's incremental benefits to to using the bloomreach tools and then what i talk about with clients is you know one of the things that you'll see is all right hey let's go in and, and make some changes to your taxonomy let's make some tweaks you'll see that that sort of acts like it's the nitro in the in the funny car, right? You run on gas and you're doing okay. And then like, all right, now let's put a good taxonomy in there and boom, you watch things blow up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when you were with Amazon, uh, I believe you launched the categories for Amazon business. Is that correct? A number of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? It was very different. I mean, we were we were about twelve people in a in one office um, trying to launch a, a full B two B distribution business. So, I was you know I came in after spending that much time at McMaster Car because I had a I had a pretty good Rolodex of companies at manufacturers. Um, you know, we had so I built the, like the metalworking and fabrication, so metalworking, cutting tools, abrasives. Uh, work holding, tool holding. I built, you know, the fasteners category, industrial hardware, uh, raw materials, adhesives and tapes. Um, I did a little bit of work in power transmission early on, and then fortunately we had somebody smarter than me come and take over that one. Um, but it was, you know, your your whole day. I mean, just think about this: is go out and try to find somebody who has end mills. All right, I need to find somebody who has end mills. And then they have 35,000 end mills. And then I have to, like, this was actually before, this was early on in Amazon business when we weren't getting the support from the offshore, te offshore team in, in India. Like Amazon's, Amazon support teams were good, but they weren't, they didn't know anything about the types of products we were loading. 
So we couldn't offshore that work to actually create the SKUs and load things through Vendor Central. Um, so we had to do it all uh, internally. And I and Steve Frazier, who was the vice president at the time, you know, he kept hitting us with a, a fact that we, you know, 2020 hindsight, we didn't listen to him as well as we should have, because he was saying, listen, you get one chance to get this data right. I know that you might say you're going to go back and fix it, but you're never going to go back and fix it because you're, there's always more things that you have to load in. And that's always been something that I've talked with people about since then. It's like, I, I know it feels like you can just, you know, throw, take the data you get from your supplier and throw it up there and that's going to work, right? And that you'll come back and fix it later. And, but that's, it's actually really, really hard to do that. So if your thought is, I'm just going to load, you know, a manufacturer part number and a short description, and that's all I need to get started. And I'm going to come back later and fix all of this selection. You're not going to. So it's the, the, the takeaway here is you should have a floor of product data quality that you hold yourself to. You can always, you know, later on um, come back and work on raising that. So like if you find, let's say you load 25,000 SKUs and you find that, you know, 2,500 SKUs are the ones really driving your business. You can come back and fix those. Um, but make sure that the things you're trying to fix are not loading the attributes that are driving faceted search. It's that's the kind of situation where we want to load additional images or maybe take your own images or write some custom copy or load some video, right? That sort of, you know, that there's a difference between the content that's used to discover product right? The, the, it's the keywords, the short description, the manufacturer part number, um, the assets, the, the attributes that drive faceted search. And then you have the conversion content, the content that once the user gets to the detail page, that's the thing that tells them, oh yeah, this is the thing that's going to solve my problem. I'm now convinced I'm going to buy that. I'm going to add it to my cart with confidence. We made a point of adding too much conversion content too quickly to SKUs that weren't getting traffic. And that was, uh, you know, if there's one thing that, I, that I've uh, talked about since then and that I've taken away from that experience is you want to invest in proportion to where your traffic is going and don't try to get too far ahead of it or you can end up wasting a lot of money. So uh, speaking of Amazon, um, I'm, I'm also curious to learn uh, in a more about the B2B marketplaces and uh, where it's going. So especially I was just going through this uh, webinar, uh, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago by the distribution strategy group. And so they've talked about uh, the SKUs uh, that the B2B marketplaces are offering, mm -hmm. right? Uh, starting from Amazon to Walmart. And if we had to really look at the expertise, uh, starting from Amazon to Zora. Uh, so let's say there are two perspectives, right? Uh, how Amazon is looking at this and how the distributors are looking at this. So is this more like a threat to the distribution or what do you think about it? The marketplaces? Yeah. It's, it's a mixed bag. Um, so I have kind of gone back and forth. Uh, that the, the webinar that Ian and, and John did last week was great. Um, I, I, you know, it, it is a, for small distributors, right? It can be very tempting to load your selection onto Amazon. Right, because it's it's so easy. All I have to do is set up a seller account and and upload an Excel spreadsheet of my products and my prices and my inventory, and I can be I can be off and running. 
and there is there are some very good lessons to be learned from selling on Amazon as a small distributor. You learn a lot about operational efficiency. Amazon will beat you up if you do not uh, play by a very high level e-commerce game, right? If they send you an order and you don't confirm it right away and you don't ship it right away and the customers aren't happy about your ability to fulfill the orders, uh, Amazon's going to you know, come down on you pretty hard. And, and so from a operational perspective, selling either to Amazon as a vendor or through Amazon as a seller can be one way of, of testing your operative uh, capabilities for e-commerce. But the challenging part is that once you load all your selection into Amazon, that information about all of those SKUs becomes Amazon's. So if you have like proprietary products and you start selling them and they start doing really well, because Amazon's best-selling product list, their top-selling product list by category are public information. So everybody out there, let's say you launch a product on Amazon, you're doing, it takes off. It's like gangbusters. It's the greatest, you know, you've got, maybe if you're a distributor, you've got a private label brand and it starts doing really well and you're like, hey, this is great. What is going to happen is some other company is going to see your product start to do really well and they're going to create either a duplicate or a knockoff or you know, they're also ran product, they're going to price it 10% lower. And and they're going to come in and try and swoop your business. So, you know, it, there's this sort of middle ground on Amazon where you want to do well enough to do well for your business, but you don't want to do so well that you start to get really visible and and people come and take the head off of your business. Um, <laughs> it, it is a... Uh, now, so... Um, but I, I think there there... So there are... There are instances where selling on Amazon business can be a good, it can be the right thing to do, um, especially if you're considering getting into the space. I think the tricky part, though, is if you are selling products that really benefit from any sort of expertise, um, you know, selling an selling a drill bit or an end mill, it, yeah, I can sell you the thing, but just having it's like selling you a pencil. Just because I sell you a pencil doesn't mean I can teach you how to write. Well, just because I can sell you an end mill doesn't mean I can teach you how to machine Inconel or titanium. That's the role of traditional distributors. And that's historically been the role of salespeople. Now, I think the uh, the tricky part going forward is going to be how well can companies digitize that knowledge and the, the recommendations about what tools to do well in this material versus this material. Some of the manufacturers are coming out with little widgets that help people do that. Um, but it, distributors have to acknowledge the fact that just because expertise is best transmitted in the form of salespeople right now doesn't mean that that's what customers actually want anymore. Most buyers in B2B firms these days are Gen Xers and millennials. And, and, and actually now, uh, you know, it's the Gen Z is, is starting to enter the workplace. People talk about millennials like they're like they're eighteen year old kids. No, millennials are all in their in their twenties and thirties. Like they they have so they are so not the jaded, you know, disaffected hipsters lurking in coffee shops anymore. Like the the economy is based on millennials now, um, and they don't want to talk to salespeople because every salesperson they've ever talked to their entire life has not known what they're talking about. 
they they go to Best Buy and they try to get tips on like which camera or which phone is right, and the person behind the counter is like, uh, I don't know. Why don't you look up the reviews on Amazon? This is just then their their um, their experience, and so they don't want to talk to salespeople. So you have to have a digital experience that can serve their needs and at least get them up to a certain level of of understanding and comfort with making the purchase that they feel like they, they uh, yeah this this company knows what they're talking about when it comes to this maybe if i do have a question i'm going to call them and not amazon because certainly if there's one thing amazon doesn't do in their space it's demonstrate any sort of uh, expertise or knowledge of the product so uh speaking of the marketplaces you know berkshire ESA plays a sourcing marketplace for uh, the industrial products, and uh, they've got a million SKUs, right? Compared to Zorro, which is offering close to 4 million SKUs, I think this is still less than that. But do you think uh, the distributors are looking at the Berkshire e-supply in a different way uh, compared to the other marketplaces? Um, you know, Berkshire is an interesting story because Berkshire wasn't always Berkshire. Um, you know, Berkshire used to be a company, I think it was, uh, production tool supply, um, but production production tool supplies goal was really to be kind of like a white label. They were they were a master distributor, so their job was to if I was a small distributor, and there were some manufacturers that either I was too small to buy from directly, uh, or I was too small to get a good price, I would buy from production tool now Berkshire uh, in order to get access to that material. PTS also did a really interesting approach in that they would create private label print catalogs for these distributors using, you know, the the selection that they carried. It was a really innovative, uh, interesting business model at the time. And Berkshire looked at that and was like, hey, we can totally take this functionality around, you know, custom catalogs and we can adapt that to create private label websites. So they've sort of backed into this very interesting um, position where they can, you know, they can, they are a marketplace, but they can also help people set up their own websites. There's a lot of, you know, um, I need to actually look to see, I haven't, I, I've, I've talked with the guys at Berkshire a couple of times. I think that they're a smart group. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, I think, figure out, um, you know, where to really add value. The hard part about creating any new marketplace in B2B right now is a traffic problem. Um, I, I have listened to a number of leaders in, in the B2B space talk about the power of marketplaces. And I think that, yes, um, they, they have the ability to be really influential. Um, but I think the challenging part about marketplaces is if I'm going to start a marketplace today, I am so... F- there's a huge first mover advantage in marketplaces, just from a traffic perspective. People go to Amazon business, not because it's a marketplace, but because it's Amazon. They've got everything. Any other marketplace that I even consider, it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot of really good experiences on that site before I default to go there and don't go there and then check Amazon because Amazon's, already got like 100,000 sellers in B2B. They've got something like, I don't know, tens of millions of SKUs. Like I I just will always feel, if I'm looking for something, 
at the best price that's going to have it in stock, I'm more likely to find it on Amazon Business, maybe Alibaba, now that they're making a big push into B2B, maybe. Um, uh, but I'm not, but any, so anything else that's going to launch, you got to show me. Either you've got to have a discovery experience that's markedly better than Amazon's, which is honestly not that difficult for B2B. Or you have to have better pricing and better inventory than Amazon. Yeah. And yeah. what are the odds that that's going to happen? So uh, most great. distributors use the same content provided by their suppliers and the manufacturers, right? So this leads to uh, duplication of content and brings down the site rankings. Uh, what can distributors do? Uh, you know, to come up with the original content, particularly, you know, if there are like tens or thousands of SKUs, is there a way to differentiate themselves from, you know, other similar distributors? Yeah. Um, so the, the secret to this is that you only need to do it for the SKUs that your customers are looking at. So it's very tempting, and we, this is what we did at Amazon Business when I was there, it's very tempting to say every SKU that you launch, you're gonna create custom copy, you're gonna take your own images, you're gonna, you're gonna create your own, shoot your own videos on it, right? And, and to create truly unique content um, for, for, for what you're putting out there. But the problem is 90%, probably 95% of the SKUs that you're going to load in B2B aren't going to get any traffic. Nobody's going to see it. So rather, so that's why I talk about build that solid foundation, right? Get a baseline level of, all right, we need for, for each of these, each category in our taxonomy, we must have these, like if we've got 25 attributes that we think are relevant, these are the seven that we think you really need to drive faceted search, to drive keyword search, to drive to drive discovery, and we want to basic, and we can then you know use that. If you look at kind of um, uh, there's some companies out there that are starting to just use concatenation to create custom short descriptions based on the attributes that they have. So if you say these are the attributes that we need, you can use those attributes to create your concatenated short descriptions that gives you you know, a unique short description that feeds into the search, but it's also very, you know, consistent it's, and it's very um, complete. I, I like to talk about the four C's of content, right? Content has to be complete. It has to be consistent. It has to be correct. And it has to be clear. So you have, so completeness, you have to have, for the attributes you've said are, these are what matter for this product. You got to have those attributes populated. Consistency. You have to make sure you're using the same values for those for those attributes between categories. If you call material 316SS in industrial hardware, but stainless steel 316 in fasteners, that creates an inconsistent experience. You want to try to normalize that if you can. Um, correct. Obviously, you got to make sure your values are right, but then also clear. So if you are using a lot of industry jargon in your values, um, that's gonna kind of make your content a little bit less friendly uh, than if you were to use, you know, terms that you know, maybe don't use the abbreviate the the acronym. Maybe you know, write something out: stainless steel as opposed to SS. So there's two components then about making that content unique. Once is so you have all your attribute data. Make sure that's normalized as much as you can. Normalizing is something you can do in bulk, especially if you've taken the time to invest in a good 
taxonomy and attribution schema to serve as a rule book to tell you this is what the data should look like. Once that's done, you can use concatenations to create short descriptions, again, at scale to, to give you some unique content. But then what you do is you start to watch where customers are going. So are there categories that are getting more traffic? Are there product families that are, we're starting to see a lot of add to carts, but those cart, but those abandoned. Your customers will start to tell you through their traffic patterns, through their e-commerce, the, the metrics that you track on your site, where you should be then following up and incrementally targeting small improvements to just that category, just that product, just enough to kind of lift it up a little bit. And then what you end up doing is it becomes like 3D printing, right? You start with a baseline and then where your customers go, you kind of boost the level. Maybe you do uh, a custom copy block, right? Have one of your salespeople write something about, hey, this is really the story about why these products are unique. Get that posted. If people aren't coming to the product, if you're not getting traffic, then that person's effort to write custom copy is going to be completely wasted. That per that effort and that cost that you incur to take your own custom image is going to be completely wasted. So your custom content, that 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 investment that you continue to make in conversion content, needs to follow where your business, where your traffic, and where your business are going. Otherwise, you end up throwing money down a hole. Good, good. So, uh, so this is a pandemic situation, right? There is uh, this paradigm shift happens every once in a while. Mm. So due to this COVID, you know, what are the things that, that it's going to change in B2B, especially after the next three months or even six months? Yeah. So we're already see. I mean, I've, we're already seeing uh, at Bloomreach instances where, you know, customers who had, you know, started to experiment with an online experience right are where it, it's one thing where you're a distributor and you think you know my kids keep telling me to get to go online so all right we'll we'll open a web store and we'll we'll get a, a small platform and we'll load some selection we'll start selling i've talked with a couple of companies former clients of mine that i you know talked to and and they've they've told me uh you know jason if it wasn't for that business right now we would be out of business because that's the only way our customers um, can get to us. You know, our salespeople can't go visit them. Um, we're really limited in terms of our go-to-market now that we don't have. Uh, so thank goodness we had this site. Um, I, I think we're going to see a lot of, I think if anything, the COVID-19, uh, the pandemic is going to basically, you know, throw gas on the fire of e-commerce for a lot of distributors. Um, now, Throwing gas on a fire, if you've ever done it, uh, can be the wrong way to go about doing it, right? So it, there's a temptation to say that, you know, technology, I'm just, I'm going to just throw more software tools at it. And I know this is ironic because I work for a software company, but um, the, the really important thing is that you think about what is it that you want this tool to do and that you, as you're considering those technologies, make sure you have some metrics in place to measure how well this tool is performing. I mean, I, I, I feel very confident that the Bloomreach solution is one that, hey, we, we show results. We show incremental lift in terms of traffic and add to cart and conversion and, and AOV and all these really important metrics because you know we're, we're about controlling the experience. So if, so just, I would say be cautious about 
anybody who says, my software will solve your problem. Software doesn't solve problems. Software helps solutions for problems scale. But those solutions for problems need to be you need to be thinking about the process too. Who are the people that are going to run these reports? Who are the people that are going to make the changes? Uh, who are the people that are going to write the uh, the training data to get the AI to the point where it's going to be worth worth its salt? Um, we are absolutely going to see a lot of B two B distributors go from you know e commerce being one to two percent of their business to being twenty to thirty percent of their business. I, I, I think here in the next two to three months, um, it's only going to continue. I uh, I would say I feel sorry for the e-commerce platform people who are going to get all this business. Um, you know, for between you know whether it's you know big commerce or um, or or hybris or um, you know or or you know Elastic Path. There's lots of really good. Pl- Actually, there's never been a better time, honestly, to get into e-commerce right now because there's so many great. Uh, platforms that you can choose from. Um, so I, I would say if it, if you haven't gotten online yet, you really need to right now. Um, you need because I think whereas back in the day, you know, even before the pand- before the pandemic, you probably could still get on board because I think the industry itself was still getting pretty slow. And yes, you had these leaders that were way way up here but it was still possible to catch up. But now that everybody and their brother is trying to get online all at once, um, you know, it's a bit of an Oklahoma land rush to use a, a, a US based uh, uh, analogy. Like once all of these people run out there and, and grab their, their spot, it's gonna be pretty hard to crack it in, in and, and to crack it in. If you start in six months, um, I, I think you're gonna miss out. Yeah, yeah. And I think the platform providers and the agencies are also trying to help out the distributors as well, right? So when you have a helping hand over there, uh, along with all these like three month, four month, six month trials. So I think this is the time for you to experiment as well. Just go ahead and do the experimentation. So you never had this a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think there's, you know, there's never been a better time to try to get into e-commerce because you have all these platform solutions. But you're right. There's actually... There are a lot of, 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 there's a lot of expertise out there that if you, if you go and talk to them and you listen to what they say, it, just make sure that they are talking to you about things that are going to impact your business. You know, how are they going to help you uh, solve problems? You know, hold them, you know, th- there is a hesitancy within some distributors to, um, to, to ask hard questions because I think a lot of distributors really just don't know anything about e-commerce. It's such a different business model that uh, especially a lot of, you know, older senior leadership who's very comfortable with the traditional distribution sales model can sometimes be really hesitant to, to get involved. They don't want, they don't want to look like they don't know what they don't know. Uh, but that's okay. Like you're gonna you're gonna succeed if you just go out and try to find the right people who can give you the right advice. You know, make sure you're getting references. Make sure you're you're getting references from people in your industry. Um, you know, not competitors, but uh, for people in in the B two B space. There's a big difference between launching a shoe store 
on uh, on a Shopify platform and versus launching a power transmission and an industrial automation store on Hybris, right? I mean, Shiva, you know this. This is there is a huge spectrum here, and so trying to find that person who can be sort of your digital Sherpa. I, I think is a really important uh, thing for folks to consider. Yeah, yeah. And so one last quick question. So from a normal consumer standpoint, uh, let's say if I'm a distributor and I'm thinking of uh, you know going online uh, based on the number of SKUs or the revenue, uh, I would essentially consider Shopify or BigCommerce uh, when it comes to the SMB or let's say SAP or Salesforce Commerce Cloud and the enterprise category. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, if I have to consider a solution like experience management, uh, like Adobe Experience Manager or the Bloomery. So what does experience manager uh, mean to my business, the distribution business? So the experience management is, so uh, a lot of the first generation of e-commerce sites, right? So e-commerce sites go through these generations, right? Like you get the, there's the site that you have that when you first launch, and it's usually, you know, a default template from the e-commerce platform provider, right? There, there's almost no customization. We you, The homepage is, here's the nine by nine grid of all the categories. And like, you know, we, we've all seen that, right? And that And that's where most distributors start. And that's great. Like, I, I think that that is a, it is a far better thing to get something out there and and to start to get data and evaluate like there's this there's this thing that happens in distribution when you go online before you go online most of the most of the decisions are made using what i call experience and opinion right it it's the leadership says well this is what's happened in the past but we we as the leadership represent the sort of uh, the the oral history, the tribal knowledge of the way we've made decisions in the past and the impact that's happened. And that's great. But the power of digital, the power of online is that what and what needs to happen at these companies is you get something out there, that gen, generation one website, as ugly as it might look, right? As 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 imperfect as it may be, the one thing you can do is you can set up Google Analytics, you can set up metrics or different platforms, different, you know, certainly, you know, uh, Bloomreach has an, an insights function to observe and watch every single shopper, every single purchasing agent, every single maintenance shop foreman who's coming to your site, logging in, and then you can watch them do everything that they do. That is incredibly powerful. Like imagine it's like me going to a, a president of a you know, ABC supply and, and telling them, wouldn't you like to have a camera on the shoulder of every single salesperson so you can watch the response and reaction to everything that your salesperson says on the customer's face as it's happening? This is what digital can do. And so, and you need to build, because there's so much data coming in, you have to have systems in place to track it document it, aggregate it, and turn it into turn all that data into actual information that you can that can become knowledge for your business. Um, and, and that I think is the most important thing. So it does you can launch something um, uh, and, and get it out there and as you start to see where things are falling down, this is where the digital experience management tools, become really valuable. 
Um, I, I would say I think most of the DXPs that are out there right now, um, you know, are are you know they they are enterprise software, right? They they are probably not something you know. AEM is probably not something that somebody on a Shopify platform is going to put in place. I mean, you're smiling a little bit, so I, I'm sensing you're going to agree with me on that. Um, and it's it's not because those companies don't need uh, a, a DXP. It's just because it's you know they they tend you know and and Bloomreach is not you know we're not a price point solution. Um, it, it's a I think we're we're certainly um, you know the it's all but it's all about the value right. It's it's can we help you take that Gen One soft you know version of your website to Gen 2, where it's a hockey stick approach in terms of the impact on the metrics. That's the role of a DXP, is we we kind of layer on all of these default tools and features and functionality that comes from the platform, and we just, we kick it up a notch. It's, it's where you buy that Honda Civic, uh, you know, from the dealer, and it's like, yes, it's a Honda Civic, it's a great, very nice, robust car, but then now, like, you start to, like, take out the exhaust system and the transmission and you turn it into like, you know, a street racing car, like a la the fast and the furious. That's what a DXP is for. It, it, it lets you kind of create those to take something that is an off the shelf experience and, and really uh, use it to drive uh, and build on the differentiation online. Yeah. Yeah. I think from my understanding, so the number of SKUs are not going to be the limitations or uh, let's say if you're going to be the first time uh, online business owner, it's it's not the limitations, right? So as long as you wanted to uh, get that experience to your customers, so it's definitely a good way to even, you know, start with experience manager. Is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know that you can necessarily, I don't, I would be, if you have the budget, yeah, start with AEM. I think that would be. I mean, start with AEM. Start with start with a DXP in place if you can afford it. I mean, I would say Bloomreach were certainly. Uh, I'd say lighter weight and less expensive and more nimble than AEM. Um, uh, but uh, you know, but you know, we're we are probably not somebody that uh, we're not a tool that's necessarily going to be layered on top of a Shopify. You know, Shopify I think is a is a really robust. B2C platform. I, you know, in in basically uh, seven years of doing kind of e-commerce consulting at this point, I've seen maybe one small B2B distributor site that's running on Shopify. Um, I think big commerce, I've seen more, um, you know, uh, you know Insight, uh, NetSuite, I, I've seen some of some of those you know they have a, a version of a platform um a lot of the headless platforms are getting pretty popular right now um you know like elastic path um is 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 getting more aggressive um but i mean there's there's a ton of options and and i would say what matters the most is pick something that you can afford and just get started you know if when the business starts to pay for itself, then you will be in a position to to upscale as you need, and you'll also have a much better understanding about what what you really need versus what is sort of a nice to have. I mean, you, you just never will get that until you start your online business. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, Jason. So uh, yeah, uh, I would definitely say it was a great conversation. So before we wrap this up, uh, can you give us a brief or the outline or summarize you know, the best practices uh, uh, for the distributors in the B2B, like the things that we never covered in this uh, 30 or 40 minutes. So are there anything that you want the distributors to, you know, like, hey, go ahead and do this right now. You don't have to wait anymore else, like how you waited a couple of years ago, right? So are there any mm -hmm. anything that you want the distributors to, you know, go, let's try this. This is the right time for you. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's that's the, I mean, what you just said is literally the, the most important thing. Just get started. Um, you know, even if it's just, even if it's, you know, picking Shopify, even if it's picking a, um, pick one category, right? Your biggest, most popular category of products, get started. Um, every single decision that you are going to make about digital is going to be driven by the data. Um, you need to move as quickly as you can from making decisions based on experience and opinion to making decisions based on data. And you cannot do that without a website that is up and running and transactional. So I, I would say, you know, step one, build the foundation, right? Get get your taxonomy, get your attribution, you know, set up and, and working. And there's lots of companies out there that can help you do that well. Um, if, if you're not sure, you know, I, I, you know, Shiva, I'm sure you know a couple that can, I certainly know a couple can, happy to, you know, give anybody pointers uh, if, if they wanna reach out. Um, but and then once you've got that baseline done, you know, and the baseline doesn't have to be aspirational. It just has to be good enough to drive the in, the first wave of discovery from the first wave of of your customers. But then you want to flip as quickly as you can to all right. We're going to get that get all our products launched at that baseline level, and now it's about follow the traffic. Right? Don't get specul Don't get too speculative about where you start to spend money what should be happening is you once you get the initial floor built now it's like all right let's see where the business is going let's follow that with more investment only make investment where customers are shopping only make investments where customers are interacting with your site in some way if customers aren't interacting with your site you shouldn't be that that you shouldn't be making a lot of investments there unless there is something about that site that you think it should be doing better, right? Like, well, this is a huge category for us offline. Why are we not selling it as well online? Okay, that's a problem. Let's let's try to dig into it. But again, that's data-driven. We're selling that offline. Why aren't we selling it online? That's 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 driven by data. Um, and yeah, so start with a start with the foundation, build that foundation to be pretty robust, but then just start iterating, and and let the customer tell you where you need to add more data. Let your customer tell you where you need to add more functionality. Your customer will tell you when it's time to upscale to maybe a new, a new more robust platform. They will help you when it's time to, you know, invest in a DXP. Um, uh, yeah, they, they are, your customers really want you to be a success. That's I, for most distributors, your customers really like working with you and they want you to be a success. So talk to them about it. Talk when, you know, make, bring them into your decision-making process when you're moving to digital, when you're trying to figure out, Hey, I don't know what I don't know. 
Well, your customers might know quite a bit of it. And if you've got good customers who want to talk to you, maybe maybe some of your customers have said, hey, Shiva, why aren't you online? I need to buy from you. My boss is breathing down my neck because he's trying to get all of our spend uh, to go through digital here soon. I've When I was in consulting, I had a number of distributor clients who said, my clients are begging me to go online. I just don't know how. Well, talk to those. Find out what they want. Make sure that's a part of your strategy on day one. If your best customers offline become your best customers online on day one of your launch, you've done something really right. Cool, cool, Jason. That was a great conversation. And I'm sure uh, the listeners are definitely going to enjoy this. And yeah, finally, so we got uh, a time to spend uh, quality 50 minutes. So thank you so much for taking your time on a Tuesday morning on your busy schedule. No, no. Hey, thank you for the opportunity, Shiva. It was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun and I'll look forward to the next time. Cool. Yeah, great. Uh, nice talk to you, uh, Jason. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. Cool. Uh, that was a nice conversation with Jason. Um, so I don't want to say this every time on all episodes just because I'm the host of this show. Uh, I, I actually want you guys to decide. I mean, do you like this episode? Uh, if you have any insights from Jason, just go ahead and comment on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and say that, hey, Jason, your insights are really good. And I'll, I'll pass on the information to Jason. So uh, before uh, we wrap this up i actually wanted to summarize what uh, jason said so a couple of things that he covered on this episode is product taxonomy um, product categories and uh, merchandising strategies and uh, content marketing strategies and uh, b2b marketplaces so uh, we don't want to ignore the marketplaces all of a sudden especially on a pandemic situation like this uh, definitely, you know, marketplaces are gonna bring in more sale to your online store. Uh, it doesn't matter your SMB or enterprise, right? So as long as you have a, a second channel or third channel for your online revenue stream, I think we're good, right? And uh, just to give you an insight, if if a sale happened through the B2B marketplace, then the next step is on you. So you just have to figure out a way on. And you know how you can actually convert these customers and make the sale through your website the next time so just streamline your email newsletters the way that uh, the customers the prospect that are gonna come back to your website next time and they'll just make the purchase over there so if you want to hear more about the email newsletter and learn uh, some tips and tricks just go back to my uh, episode 6 where I sat down with uh, David Hyatt uh, Denny manufacturing company based out of Cardigan and he talked a lot about it and uh, if you have any comments on the show just hit that uh, mail me button in the podcast description and if you have anything else that you want me to cover on the upcoming episodes do let me know thanks once again for tuning in and subscribe to be among the first to hear it catch you guys very soon in the next episode until then stay safe and stay healthy (laughs) 